everyone and welcome to episode 32 of the History Hotline. My name is Diana, and I am here with Satya Gumput bringing you part two of the episode we recorded about migration and in our migration series, looking at the region of the Punjab, looking at the South Hall region of London and the South Hall Black Sisters, anti-racist struggles um, within the South Asian community and how, you know, Asian people were racialized, um, whether falling into categories of blackness or not, and how they then took to doing this anti-racist work and this work in the community to better their experience here in Britain and you know as you've listened in the first episode already and if you haven't listened to that one I would definitely say go back it's not going to make sense to you too much if you listen to this one first however it's still a fantastic episode so do whatever you like um yeah I think you should definitely listen to the first part first um, and then come here. And if you have done so, or you listened last week or whenever, um, I hope you do enjoy this second part. And um, as we kind of finish off the stories um, that we started uh, looking at Kirinji Alawalia, um, the campaigns and specific movements to the South for Black Sisters, as well as, you know, systemic issues and versus individual issues when it comes to anti-racist struggles. Um, We also are going to touch on institutional racism in this episode, this war against British history, quote unquote, that seems to be, um, you know, at play right now in the discipline. Um, And also, of course, the Seal Report will come back again because, you know, you can't really think about history, unfortunately, without that report at the moment, especially when we're looking at anti-racism in the 60s, 70s and 80s. So I hope you do enjoy this episode as we come back for part two. Um, with Satya Gumput thinking about um, the region of the Punjab, Southall and the Southall Black Sisters. So thank you for listening and I hope you enjoy. Their most famous campaign, which was actually turned into a movie with uh, an Indian actress called Ishwaya Rai. Okay. It was called Provoked, and it was about the case of Kiranjit Aluwalia, yes. who was a it was a South Asian woman who killed her husband in self defense. Yes. Uh, after he had uh, abused her physically, yeah. was violent towards her, and she was initially jailed for I, I think it was murder or, or something yeah. along those lines. And the South or Black Sisters launched this huge campaign. I think they even they got Princess Diana involved as well uh, to <laughs> to to free her. And yeah. they eventually ended up. It ended up with with the law being changed about being provoked yeah. uh, in instances of abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, so when it came to Kiranjit's uh, case. The South or Black Sisters at the time, they were made up people like uh, Rahila Gupta, Pragna Patel, Avtar Bra, and they conducted interviews with her. And they always came back to this idea of sort of is it or honor within South Asian communities and how sort of a religious aspect of that or these sort of community pressures oppressed women. And it yeah. made them really unpopular because they were anti-racist and they were turning around and saying, well... Yeah our communities aren't perfect. And for some sort of organizations, anti-racist organizations, that was something they didn't want to hear and they didn't yeah. want publicized because it their argument was it contributes to the pathologizing of the black male or the South Asian male in yeah. that he's a problem, he needs to be educated, brought out of the Stone Age, those sorts of ideas. Mm. But they took a stand. And I think during this period, 
they start transitioning more to service provision. So yes. instead of thinking about political campaigning, they start running a domestic violence shelter. And some of those reasons are like yeah. pragmatic. So funding decisions in London, the GLC, it favors sort of service provision. So they start okay. leaving those political campaigns behind. Um, but I think if we like, if we're talking about multiculturalism and things like that, probably yeah. one of the most interesting moments in their history uh, is the the issue of Salman Rushdie. Okay. So yeah. uh, Salman Rushdie, at the end of the eighties, he, he's a he's a Booker Prize winning author. He um, he publishes a book called The Satanic Verses, a, a fiction book. Yeah. But it has a depiction of um, of like the Islamic faith of the Prophet Muhammad that offends yeah. a lot of people. Of and course. it leads to the call for the banning of his book and a, a fatwa is announced on Salman Rushdie's life. And wow. within the British anti-racism, there are really divergent views about what should happen. Yes. But what you hear a lot of at that time, including members of the black sections of the Labour Party, so even someone like Bernie Grant, is mm. that the blasphemy law should be extended to cover Islam and uh, okay. that uh, British Muslims should not be insulted in such a way. And South or Black Sisters get together with Women Against Fundamentalism in 89, yeah. 1990, and they decide to publish a statement which says, we defend Salman Rushdie's right to write wow. this book. And that's a really dramatic moment. Like I said, someone like Bernie Grant, the, the MP mm. for Tottenham, he's a huge figure in anti-racism in Britain. Like, of course. Uh, really, like, it's like, if you want to know if one great historical figure that maybe I should have said as well is Bernie Grant, <laughs> right? Of course. Uh, and, it, but people, it's, it is a dividing moment and it's a controversial moment in sort of how we think about ethnicity, multiculturalism in Britain. Yeah, And I, I think one thing I would say is that there is a before and after for multiculturalism in Britain with that Rushdie incident. Yeah. And I guess when the South or Black Sisters come out and yep. say that in 1989, it makes it clear this is a Black secular organization that will defend mm. the rights of women from yep. a secular standpoint. Absolutely. And if I were to say anything, it's that 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 part of their, their secularism it yeah. matters. It doesn't Definitely. necessarily mean that they all are, are atheists or, or yeah. what have you, but it did mean that they thought their political platform was only possible if they were secular. Yeah. And I think the way we talk about ethnic diversity in Britain, we can talk. We talk a lot about faith groups now. Mm, we, uh, we we and and there's that way of thinking about communities. Yeah, and I I think. Well, actually, I know. So I was really lucky. I, I got to, uh, I was involved in an event which was in conversation with Rohila Gupta. Yeah. And she is a really senior figure in South for Black Sisters. Yeah. Wow. And when I was talking to her, she thought, she was really unequivocal that that sort of thinking about communities damages her, her political standpoint. Yeah. Uh, and she was insistent that the Black in South for Black Sisters matters and she wasn't going to get rid of it. Good. And and she was still going to, I think, she still wants to use that, the legacy of the sort of political black tradition in Britain yeah. to to argue for her, the rights of women of color. And I've, she raised one point, I remember in this interview, where, and it's available online. Okay. Um, where where can, think, where can anyone find that? 
<laughs> uh, Queen, yeah, uh, Queen Mary's University of London put up in conversation with Rahila Gupta. I think either on YouTube or Daily Motion or one tube site, and I'll um, share it on Instagram okay, and Twitter. I'll send it to you as well. Yeah, perfect. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, she said uh, about when she started in in activism yeah. uh, in Britain, and people were challenging her to say, "How can you possibly represent?" both Caribbean and South Asian communities. Yeah. She, uh, people used to tell her because South Asian people are predominantly concerned with immigration laws, whereas uh, black kids are predominantly concerned with sort of uh, education, special educational needs, yeah. uh, being made educationally subnormal, those sorts of... So they had different issues. Yeah. And when I was talking to her, uh, it was last year, um, she said, well if you come to the Windrush scandal, yeah. immigration issues were suddenly the concern of Caribbean communities. Of course. And if you turn to the educational performance of Bangladeshi or Pakistani heritage children right. in schools, those are the concerns of South Asian communities now. And she exactly. said, by fragmenting the movement, yep. as she referred to it, really key skills and activism and, and knowledge of how do you campaign against these things? How do you yep. navigate these really complex bureaucrat bureaucratic systems? Were lost yep. because, well, yeah, because there had been a divide and, yeah, and it was viewed that, yeah. Definitely. Uh, those sort of fragmentations, yeah. And as you said, they're systems and to fight systems, it really kind of, the individual issues, whilst they are very important to said community at any particular time, the systems are the kind of overarching things that are being broken down as in anti-racist movements. You are trying to attack the systems whilst, you know, at one particular time you might be focused on policing or schooling, as you've said. It is the overarching system in Britain and it yeah. is a system that has to be and had to be, um, you know, dismantled so that it could work for, for black and, well, now I say black and Asian people, but yeah. I guess yeah. at that point, black people and non-white people um, and newly arrived people from from wherever they were in the world it was that system that had to be broken not just issue yeah. here issue here issue here and i think that feels really like what you just said feels really powerful in light of the fact that we are speaking a week after a government uh, an independent right? report came out <laughs> saying that there, what is institutional racism i don't think well, it doesn't it's it's not there might be racism but it's not institutional yeah and i think I think we've talked about this before, but we weren't being podcasted, was that <laughs> there, is a, there is a sense that the further away we've got from that period of, of anti-racism in the 70s and 80s, yeah. the more personal race has become, the more yeah. personal anti-racism has become, and we've lost sight of, of those broad ways of describing conditions of pe British yeah, people in this absolutely. country, people around the world. And yeah, um, yeah I, I, it feels... Like you at the beginning, you asked um, what makes you committed and motivated to carry on in history. Well, yeah. something like last week, yeah. uh, when when you see something like that and you think, yeah, this is bizarre. I, well, I, 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 the comments yeah. about you know how history should be taught and how we need to think about um, you know British Empire and and that kind of thing, and you're thinking in your head, am I just sitting here doing all this research for nothing? Like, am I crazy? Did these things just never happen? You know, we need to reframe slavery in some kind of yeah positive light and I know I'm I'm you know yeah. um exaggerating what was said but no, it, it's it doesn't not that much make an exaggeration. No. <laughs> well I, yeah I, I wanted to I wanted to scream. I think I was very close to screaming when I read it because yeah it it was yeah it's, it's astonishing. It's astonishing yeah. And it for me per I think 
as you said, race and I think identity politics are really framing how we look at racism and fighting against racism. And it is really, I think, taking away from system systemic racism. And then I think about, you know, it is, I don't want to, you know, bash people, um, but, you know, the man that wrote the report, the like kind of lead author is, you know, a child of the Windrush generation. And I think like, you know, what your, yes, okay, your your life now um, materialistically might be better than your parents who came over or you might feel less, you know, covert racism, but you can't, I think as people, you can't, and I'm, you know, preaching to the choir, but you can't, just because your life is better, you cannot say that these systems are not in place anymore. A system could be in place, but not if, not impact a lot of people within that system, that it should ne- negatively impact. But it doesn't mean that system is not still there. And yeah, I no, have exactly no evidence right. of these systems changing. No, you're, you're exactly right. It, it was, I think, you know, like in that report, it, every page effectively amounted to someone saying, there is no such thing as institutional racism, but racial disparities exist in this field. Yeah. But there's no such thing as institutional racism. Well, in this and then specific the... field, an institution. Yeah. 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 There's no racism. Yeah. <laughs> but um, it was just bizarre. I think, yeah, anyway, I don't, I, the less I talk about it, the better for, for yeah. my, my overall well-being. <laughs> Absolutely. But... It, is, it is definitely one of those things. And as you said, it is the push and the motivation to keep going with something like history and the discipline of history. I feel like history has always been something like, I don't know, growing up doing history and being so like passionate about it. It wasn't, it was never cool. It was like, oh, you, you just do history. You read a lot about the past. But now I feel like being a historian is like, in some ways, activism. Like I feel like I'm being, a, not me personally being attacked, but the discipline and what we stand for, looking at these histories, trying to reframe British history, trying to look at, you know, all sides of empire. I feel like it's under attack more so. Um, yeah. And following Black Lives Matter, most institutions will say that things are getting maybe a little bit better or even if it's in a somewhat tokenistic way. But history, I feel like the war has started, like we need to armor yeah. up. <laughs> so I, ha- I have this, I, for ages, I was telling my friend who is a big believer in the culture war. Yeah, I was like, there's, there's no culture war. There's no culture war. <laughs> and then over the last three, four weeks, I was like, there is a culture war and I'm definitely on the front line right now. (laughs) (laughs) I completely changed my point of view because it's almost got to to be, to be, uh, it's like, it's almost become undeniable at the moment uh, about statues with national trust museums. Uh, It's, it's, um, but I I think you made, you raised a really interesting distinction, right? So I think at Birkbeck, the idea that a historian might also be doing activism or being an activist in some respects yeah. is it's not controversial because Birkbeck is like a college with a real big history of sort of working class education yeah. left-wing politics but where I did my undergraduate which was less a place <laughs> like that of course <laughs> um uh it it was like a historian can't be an activist yeah. because the historian is after some objective truth right uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and that that annoyed me, and it's why yeah. why I, I'm I love Birkbeck so much, um, but uh, and, and I'm sure things have changed. I hope they've changed. I'm not but so sure. I'm not convinced. <laughs> yeah, no. it's true. We, like as a historian, you're you can't possibly be objective. I cannot write about a history that my grandparents lived through and not bring my emotions, my feelings to that. And you know, it doesn't make any sense to me. Anyone writing a history, even if it's not, you know, a family connection or your country of origin or, 
your, I don't know, your gender or sexuality. You have to bring your own perspective. That's why we write and not robots. You know, it's not like a computer writes these histories. We write as human beings with feeling and past experiences. We are shaped by the scholars around us and the institutions we write for and in. And it's absolutely ridiculous that, yeah, you could come at that with kind of a, this is only factual. History is the retelling of facts. It's not. It never has been (laughs) and never will be. Because I think about some of the the things that, like the works of history or sort of like tangential fields that most excite me. I think of someone like Stella Dadzi, who who wrote uh, Heart of a Race, um, Black Women in Britain. Uh, That's like, that's a great history. And it's, and it, it doesn't pretend to be sort of academic detachment. It's like, this is impossible. I'm writing this. Yep. Stuart Hall, you know, he writes beautiful prose. Yeah. Uh, it it's getting at the truth, but uh, it's not academic detachment or anything. Nope. You it it gets at the truth, but you feel the passion. You feel the the force of the argument coming through. Yeah. Paul Gilroy is the same. Amrit Wilson, I, I can uh, Sivanandan. All these guys are are writing really important works yeah. for the period I study, and they're not uninvolved. And I guess one one sort of liberating thing for me was in my historical work was that understand you do, you can let go of those things about academic detachment or, or objectivity and understand that it doesn't really work no it doesn't exist it's not possible <laughs> yeah. in the discipline absolutely i feel like we've really come full yeah. circle here you know we've started <laughs> off with you know migration as this big thing an empire and we've landed at this report and our role as a historian and you know what what we have to do and what what we do um or try to do anyway um and so I don't know do you have any other points to make about the South Hall Black Sisters I think you left it in a really good place I think this idea of you know the fact that they were a secular organization and I think probably to their strength um and again as you said the kind of political base of them not necessarily segregating themselves and saying we're just going to be an Asian organization. Um, you know, it was the South Hall Black Sisters. It used the terms of the time and politicized kind of itself. Um, I just wanted to ask a question though, since I've thought about blackness. Um, when we have these waves of migration, you know, um, in my reading of interviews, especially, um, and I think Beryl Gilroy's comes to mind um, in her book Black Teacher, when she comes to Britain she often says, I am Guyanese, you know, I am a Guyanese woman now in Britain. Um, However, and I wrote about this in my uh, master's dissertation, um, my supervisor was really probing these thoughts. She said, think about how Britain racialized um, Black and Asian people. Um, And for me, it was just Caribbean women that I was writing about. But how maybe in Southall were Asian people from the Punjab, say, and I guess from other regions, they were racialized as Black, did they adopt black? They also adopted blackness, as we think about the South or Black Sisters. But how? I don't know if you can quantify this with numbers. But how far were they racialized by society, and then how far were they kind of accepting of that label? If that makes sense. No, that that makes uh, that make, yeah, it's a, it's a really good question, and it makes perfect sense. Um, I think okay, there are two points to this. Maybe okay. is that there is a generational divide for sure. Yeah. So. So youngsters born in uh, born in Britain or educated for the most part in Britain in the yeah. 70s and 80s 
they have expectations of the British state as mm. people born here or people who think of themselves as British. Yeah. But maybe their parents didn't bring to the argument. So, uh, and their attachment to what sort of a culture or a political culture, it's about yeah. creating a new one. So Definitely. in that in, in that space to to look at sort of black activism and says yeah. say there's a home for me here as a young Asian man or woman yeah. to 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 make my case for equal participation in in the British state yeah that that appeals to sort of a, a younger group of people um, and that's why there is a generational thing about blackness and yeah. our political blackness and it may be that that generation. Or political blackness has come has come to an end today, or is, yeah. is run out today. That, that's that's a whole separate podcast, maybe. <laughs> Definitely. But, <laughs> but uh, the other thing to say, I guess, is a, an important point for blackness in Southall is yeah. uh, uh, East African Asians. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so Southall Black Sisters Avta Bra, for example, she comes from I think Uganda or, or yeah. Kenya. Okay. Well, she comes from East Africa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and. Um, and these are groups of people who are migrating who have different class identities, yeah. different educational backgrounds. Yeah. Especially for women, uh, English language proficiency is perhaps a lot better from yeah. East Africa than, than coming from Punjab. Absolutely. And that has an impact for activism and the connections people can make yeah. between the Caribbean and South Asia. So. Yeah. You do have radicals like we've talked about, like Roy Swa or mm. Sivanandan from yeah. Sri Lanka or Doshi in, in Birmingham. Yeah. You have these radicals from before, but really blackness becomes a movement with this generational moment Definitely. Uh, in Southall. Yeah. For sure. Like it's, it's, and I think when we talk about these communities, like, like, like you, this whole podcast is about, it's like gender, class, yeah. ethnic identities. And I would say blackness in this part of South or for the Black Sisters, it has its political power yeah. because they they look at the way they're being racialized and being thought of yeah. and they say, how do we use this to our advantage? Yeah, that makes how, sense. how do we make this a coalition where we can achieve things to improve the lives of women in this country? And I think it's true that they are fought as other. They are fought as people from the empire, backwards people, cool. South Asian people sometimes assumed as being passive or, or dirty or unhygienic. Yeah. Uh, and so all these different racializations, people sometimes fight back against them. And I think especially for South Asian people in, in, in Southall, yeah. perhaps one undercommented part of reaching towards blackness is yeah. it's an opportunity to shake off the ideas about Asian passivity as well mm, yeah. so being assertive about your identity uh so while political blackness had less to do with like things like black pride yeah um actually that is something that can't be completely ignored from that polit politics Absolutely. so when people in in southall they start reaching towards their sikh identity yeah. as something to be proud of and they ally that to political blackness yeah and it's a way of thinking about how Maybe for the South or Black Sisters, this Black is a really broad platform. Yeah. And it, and the secularism matters, like we've talked about, because that's how it stays broad. Yeah. That's why it tries not to get too bogged down in the specifics of like sort of these really small details and really not achieve anything broad. Like yeah. we're talking about like systems or institutions. Yes, of course. And not just personal yeah. politics and yeah, smaller 
individualized problems absolutely no that makes complete sense something that just came to mind and oh I don't want to like get into it too deeply but a point you mentioned again that really did spark a spark a point in my brain um was this idea of like the kind of generational difference um in regards to kind of each I guess generation um of people from um you know the Punjab and from from India and from Asia more widely but I think it's definitely a pattern that we see um with all kinds of migration even in more modern um recent migrations with uh people from West Africa say as we move down the generations and we fight you know racism and systemic issues we do it in a very different way you know the Black Lives Matter movement of today it wouldn't have happened in the 50s when the Windrus generation had to fight for what they needed and wanted and I think it's important to I guess note the generational difference within the Asian community in Southall as well as um just thinking about it in a wider context but I did yeah definitely thought of that sparked sparked a, a thought in my mind yeah I think yeah part of that is probably because we think the government the state and I guess public institutions think about ethnicity and race and completely di- and communities in completely different terms now. Yeah. So I think that might have some impact in 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 what is possible. Definitely. But I, I like I think there's there's probably a really good sort of thesis or article mm-hmm. to be written about but sort of there's changing cultures of anti-racism in Britain. Yeah. Uh, uh, and from the windrush and yeah, I think while while we talk about connections like what happens in Southall is not possible without the Caribbean. Yeah. Like that, that sort of activism. I, 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 I like in the period I study anti-racism activism, the sort of the ideas, the force comes from the Caribbean. Yeah. Uh, and if, if we were to characterize anti-racism activism now, maybe the locus of blackness in Britain as mm. is no longer the Caribbean. It might be moving to West Africa. Yeah. It It might be moving to, communities that migrated at a later date have a different class identity so like caribbean migration maybe in this period working class Mm, men and women coming over with immigration laws changing people who come over now maybe have professional qualifications of course have a job offer they have wealth to support money to support themselves Mm. and that changes the it changes anti-racism it changes like the scope of it as well exactly Um, yeah. And it, it so, takes away kind of or changes the element of class, which I think is very big in definitely um, the kind of initial anti-racist movements, which really did. A lot of them came out of a socialist you know, perspective. But if you're coming with wealth, that's not you're going to be your political leaning um, necessarily. And so, yeah, definitely that generational and regional global shift, yeah. um, you know, impacting how we how we go against racism. And I think we are nearing the end yeah. of this podcast <laughs> I, was, I feel like this conversation could go to part seven even <laughs> there's <laughs> just no, so it's much really enjoyable it's so much to talk about absolutely um, and I think as well as I've kind of mentioned when we're thinking about the curriculum and what um you know younger listeners that are might be listening hello to you all that you hear about at school these aren't the stories you get you know if you do manage to get a little injection of black history in your curriculum it does tend to be windrush it does tend to be these very recent histories and it tends to be a few individuals that get kind of uplifted and the South Hall Black Sisters are not something I even heard about till more, you know, a really late point in my studies. Um, I didn't study Black British history at the beginning. It was more Caribbean. So, yeah, this I didn't know about this stuff. And I think in terms of like public history and how, you know, Britain 
kind of looks at itself um, or doesn't because it, institutional racism doesn't exist, <laughs> um, you know, in that kind <laughs> of context. Um, these stories are vital when we look at like anti-racism and race relations in Britain. We have to look at Asian people. We have to look at those stories. We have to look at Asian people coming from Africa. You know, we have to look at these wider narratives, I think. And it's really important that you're doing this work to kind of, and I think that will fit in beautifully with this wider narrative that historians and scholars have been building up over over the past like 20 and 30 years. So it's wonderful. Definitely. Thank you so much for for being on the podcast today. Um, Before you go... Tell us what's next for you or what you're doing right now in terms of the history world um, and also at the end where, where to find you, your socials and oh, website. Cool. So um, <laughs> what I'm doing right now is I am attempting to write up my thesis wow. from my bedroom uh, <laughs> <laughs> for the last year. Yeah. Uh, it's going well. Uh, it's pretty full on. Um, but yeah, it's the worst things I could be doing right now. Um, yeah. Otherwise, uh, yeah, I'm just trying to stay sane. Uh, Always. <laughs> and um, I, I'm on like I'm on Twitter at his name is Satya. Uh, my website is also his name is Satya. Easy. Uh, in case you ever forget my name. And uh, um, uh, yeah, I, I think the last thing I would say is on South or Black Sisters is they are an organization at last till today. Uh, yeah. They're still providing essential resources to women who are in distress or in trouble uh they still work out southall they have a website and you know they they fundraise they are they do a lot of things and it doesn't come cheap and i would encourage you all if you if you're listening to this podcast to uh check out their website look at what they do and you know if you support in any way it's probably very good yeah definitely definitely we had um as in it was international women's history month last month we had um different kind of charities that we kind of brought to the forefront um and sister space was one of them in hackney but definitely the south hall and black sisters are some a charity that should be supported and funded um and i'll put their details in all relevant posts as well as um such as um social media details as well as that interview that he did um earlier on this year so that you can find him and, and follow all his fantastic work. Thank you so I can much. Say thank you. Can I say thank you for having me? You're an excellent oh, no, podcast host. Okay. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. Oh, I'm it glad. No, I'm it's glad. I think podcasts are quite cool with history because as you said, you know, you spend so long just reading and writing in an isolated manner yeah. to be able to kind of say it all out and just, you know, verbalize everything. Sometimes it can be helpful. So I'm glad you enjoyed it. Thank I you really so much it. for being here today. Wow, wow, wow. What an episode. Honestly, um, I feel like I learned so much again in those two parts. And I'm glad that I split them, I guess, into two parts because there was just so much food for thought and so much information shared by Satya. So Satya, thank you so much for for being part of this migration series. Um, You know, different to the Seychelles episode in the sense that we looked more at in the context of the Seychelles, the history of the country, um, and not so much like community forming, because as we said, it was a hidden population and the forming of community is different when you don't have those numbers. But in the case of the Punjab and South Hall and South Hall Black Sisters, a movement that was clearly born out of that migration, I think it's a lot easier to see when the population is visible, as we've spoken about. And, you know, thinking about that report that was written by the government and a quote unquote lack of institutional racism or it not existing in Britain anymore. 
um, which we obviously know um, is a load of nonsense. Um, but yeah, I, I hope you got to understand maybe this perspective of, of a historian that is currently in the archives, currently doing this work. And obviously Satch is writing up his, his PhD um, thesis to which we wish him the best of luck. Um, and I hope that all goes well, um, Satch. So thank you so much for being on this episode, um, these two episodes that it turned into. And I hope for all of you listening, um, you were kind of able to take a bit of an alternative look at black history as we looked at the South Asian perspective, which doesn't naturally fit into this discourse and into this narrative and is often excluded, but is equally as important for sure. So please, again, follow Satya um, at his socials. Everything will be linked in the show notes and also on social media. Um, And follow the History Hotline, as always, um, on all good podcast platforms and on LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram. Have a wonderful week. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye.